Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Hey, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And if you brought a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and open with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We've been studying the, this letter that Peter wrote. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback uh, black Bible underneath the seat close to you. You can use that Bible. You can turn to page 1014 in that Bible. That'll get you right there. If you want to like... If you want to flex some new muscles and try to find your way there, right, it's about this part of the Bible. So it's way towards the end. You've heard of the book of Revelation, or as our Southern brothers like to say, Revelations. They put an S on it, but it's Peter is towards the end of the Bible. You guys here now? Thank you. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here. If you would turn in your Bible to First Peter. All right, so Peter is a... Peter was an apostle to Jesus Christ. He was one of those uh, selected 12 that followed Jesus when he was doing his ministry in Galilee um, and through around Jerusalem. And he was there when Jesus was crucified, arrested, crucified. He was, he was there when Jesus was raised from the tomb. He went into the tomb and looked around to make sure Jesus' body was not there. He was with Jesus for the next 40 so days when Jesus would spend some time with him before he went back to Father God. And it's in these moments that, that Peter had his um, proverbial mind just expanded to the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, chosen by God to come to earth to redeem people or to rescue people out of the sins of their lives. And he, he had this culminating moment when he stuck his head into the tomb and saw that Christ was raised from the dead. He began to understand that all of the things that Jesus had been speaking about the previous three years or so were coming to pass. That Jesus would say, I have to suffer under the hands of, of the Gentiles. I have to be put into a grave. I have to raise again. And now we know through Peter, as he's writing to us, and through all of history knows this now, that we too, through, through hope in this resurrection of Jesus, and through faith in that, that we also have uh, the, the resurrection from the dead available to us. And what that means simply is this, is we have the, the hope of eternity with God the Father through Jesus Christ alone. Now, I'm saying all of that because this is a letter that Peter is writing to Christians in a, in a dark time in history when, when Christians were facing a lot of trials, lots of persecution, lots of troubles, and he's writing this letter to them to give them hope. I mentioned when we first started this study in Peter's letter that if you ever want to have hope in your life, if you ever are looking for for a place of solace and comfort, and you go to the scriptures, I promise you, start in 1 Peter. This is a letter of hope. This is a letter of encouragement to us as Christians as well. 
So uh, I'm trying to set this up. I want to do a little bit of work before we even get into this passage in second, the second chapter here. Um, last week, um, I went quickly through a verse in chapter one, uh, chapter one, verse 23, where, where Peter uses this language called born again. Um, I'm going to put the verse up on the screen here. It's chapter one, verse 23. I'm going to read it to us. And I want to spend a little time talking about this phrase being born again. Um, this is what Peter said. And I talked a little bit about it last week. He says, since you, he's speaking to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, he's not talking to you, <laughs> but he's talking to Christians, right? So that's, that's what he's saying. He says, since, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, I want to do a little bit of work here because here's, here's what I found. I did not grow up in the church. So when I, when I sort of found myself coming into the church in my mid to late 20s, um, I found that the churches were very adept at using a lot of language that I was unfamiliar with. Right? We call this jargon, and, and it's not just Christians who have jargon. The medical profession has their own jargon. Engineers have their own jargon. Musicians are the worst at having their own jargon. It's just a way that we use certain words to communicate to one another, which is fine unless you're on the outside listening in and you have no idea what these mad fools are talking about, right? And being born again is part of that jargon that we use in the church. And if you don't know what that means, it's not helpful for someone to use that language. It's not helpful for us to read Peter's line here and go, since you've been born again, and we just go, whatever, and then move on. So I want to spend a few minutes here to discuss that so that the, the non-Christians in the room would feel comfortable to, to learn a little bit about what we're talking about. And secondarily, I think there are Christians in the room who don't understand fully what this means. In fact, when I first came into the church, I began to see that this word or these words born again was, was used as an adjective to describe Christians. They say, well, I don't know, is he a born again Christian? And I used to scratch my head. I'm like, what exactly are they saying? Because I thought I understood the Bible when it said that if you have been born again, you are a Christian. So how can we possibly have two groups or levels of Christians, some of them not having been born again? Did you know there's no such thing as a non-born again Christian? If you're a Christian, you've been born again. Here's what Peter's alluding to in this. You're not a Christian based on your lineage. You're not a Christian based on your zip code. And you're not a Christian based on the things that you do on the weekend. Okay, let me talk about those things. You can't stand before God and go, well, my, my mom and dad were Christians. My grandma and grandpa were Christians. My great grandfather and grandmother were Christians. And so by default, then I guess I'm a Christian. And I make this distinction because I think some people do that. You know, their research groups will send out polls and they ask your affiliation to a church or to, to a religion. And many people check Christian, but they've never had this understanding of being born again, which we'll discuss in a minute. They're just checking the box because again, their family is Christian. Have you guys heard of the Bible belt in America? It's this, it's the sweep that goes through the lower Southern states and crosses through Texas. Dallas, if you didn't know, is actually the, the belt buckle to the Bible belt. Did you know that? Right? <laughs> That's a joke. Anyway, so... <laughs> You're like, is that a thing? No, it's a joke is what it is. <laughs> but what happens is people somehow have this belief, you know, like if you live in Dallas with all the Christian that it lives in around Dallas and that area, that you're just by default a Christian. That, that doesn't make you a Christian either. And, and to be very loving and kind to you as best I can, the fact that you've come here today 
in the church. Renaissance is a church. Welcome. If your friend didn't tell you that, <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> you want to hear a cool band? Come with me. <laughs> no, they suckered you and you're in church right now. But you're, you're not a Christian because you've come to church either. And you're not a Christian because you came to church last week and maybe all last year, and maybe the last 20 years of your life. That's not what makes you a Christian. There is this moment that happens when a person is born again. You're not a Christian because you've attended church, just like you're not a student when you just wander through a campus, right? When you, when you go to the quad at ISU and just hang out with all the young people, that does not make you a student. That makes you weird. <laughs> And so Peter's, he's pointing to this idea of being born again, and he's not the first person to use it. In fact, he's, he's picking up on language that Jesus himself used. And Jesus is the first one who brought out this idea of being born again, and you can read about it in your Bible, and we'll pull verse uh, 6 and 7 of John chapter 3. Jesus has this kind of cool uh, interchange with this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jewish people, the Bible tells us. He's a teacher of the Old Testament law. He understands the things of God. But John chapter three tells us that in the, the middle of the night, this man sort of saunters over to where Jesus is and he begins a conversation with him. And he says, surely Jesus, we know a couple things. That you are certainly sent by God because no one could discount the, the miracles and the signs that you're, you're performing, right? Jesus, like when he came as the son of God, that he produced all kinds of miracles. It was God's approving stamp on his ministry. He says, yes, I'm in this. And so this man, Nicodemus says, Jesus, we know that you've come from God. We can see, right, the kingdom of God at work in your life. And Jesus just goes, poof, hang on a second. You can't even see the kingdom of God, he says, unless you've been born again. And Jesus uses this, this language of being born again. And in verse six and seven of John chapter three, he says this, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And yet that which is born of the spirit is then spirit. He says, don't marvel or don't be confused by what I'm saying to you. He's saying you must be born again. So I want to take just a couple more minutes to discuss what Jesus is saying here. That that which is born of the flesh is flesh. What he's alluding to is that you and I, we've come into this world naturally. We came through our parents, right? And they came through their parents. We are, we are connected through the flesh in that regard. In fact, if we were to follow this lineage, we could go all the way back to the first man and his wife, Eve, Adam and Eve. You've heard of them, right? And so we are direct descendants. Well, maybe not real direct, but we are descendants of, of Adam and Eve. And the thing we know about Adam and Eve is there was a moment when they chose to disobey God and sin, the Bible tells us, entered into the world. And in this moment, sin lands on Adam and it lands on Eve. And then every descendant from that point forward, your great grandmother, your great grandfather, your parents, and even you have been born into this issue of sinness. And we come by this naturally. Flesh begets flesh, we learn, right? And what Jesus is saying that if we're going to understand the born again experience, we have to understand that God wants to do something different in our life. He wants to make us a different creature than we were born into naturally. He wants to give us a new birth, a birth by the spirit of God himself. Woo. And he says, that which is born of the spirit is now spirit. Now, this distinction is only powerful or, or is only good news to us if we understand what it makes available to us. 
See, because of our old nature, the old person we used to be, that old sinful person, our desires, our longings, our passions were birthed out of sinful things. So even though you and I desperately tried to get out of sin, we cannot. We can't. Some of you have tried. Bless your heart. You have desperately disciplined things out of your life and you had success, but for a season. And sure enough, that sinful thing rears its ugly head and latches back onto you again. And it is because of this that Jesus came to the earth to remove those shackles from us. See, if we are going to stand before God as as descendants of sinful Adam and Eve, then we have no hope of surviving in front of a just and perfect and holy God. Any amount of sin in our lives, listen, any amount of sin in our lives when we stand before a holy God would cause us to be destroyed the instant he walked into the room. But because God loves us, he sends Jesus to, to take that sin off of us, right, through faith in him, and now we have been born of the Spirit. So now our desires, the passions in our life, are now informed by the mind and the will of Christ, not the sinful nature that we've come from. Is this helping anyone? Okay, all right. You're like, I get all this. This is Christianity 101. Is it? <laughs> Is it? Because so many people want to make it about performing and doing other things. And Jesus is is saying, you have to be born again. You have to leave the old, fleshy, natural side uh, over here and be born into the spirit. And this only happens through faith in Jesus. And when that happens, something magnificent changes in our lives. It allows us to do things that we've never been able to do before. Like what, Jeff? Great question. (laughs) And this is where Peter picks up in chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. That he begins to lay out before us the the call of the Christian life. That we know that we've been born again. And you know when you're born, you're a baby. Right? You're a mess, let's be honest. (laughs) Right? We all are. And and there's this maturity that is then expected by God um, for us that we can be babies, but for a while, but we're to mature. And Peter knows this, and he talks about us being newborn babes, okay? And it talks about the maturity that we grow up uh, into the things of God, and most importantly, how it impacts the culture around us. I, I never wanna leave that part out because it's so, it's so easy for us to come into church and try to just get a bunch of stuff for us, which I know we need a lot of help some days, right? I, I desperately need help today. I promise you, I need help today. One of the prayers this morning on refrain in my office was, God, give me the joy of the Lord. Give me the joy of the Lord. Because you know, joy is not happiness. Did you know that? It's not, it's different. Happiness is an emotion. And if I could tell you very honestly, there's some really crazy stuff happening in my life right now. And I'm not too keen or happy about it. So I'm like, Lord, give me your joy. And see, and that's birthed out of this renewal in my life. This, the spirit of God in me is desiring for these things. If I was to live my old life, I would not desire the things of God. And so when we see this, we begin to understand that God is placing not just uh, a renewed life into us individually, but he's placing a renewed life into us individually that we, individually that we might change, have an impact upon the culture of those people around us. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say. And that only took 15 minutes. I apologize. <laughs> so let's read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 12. We will put the words up on the screen here. He says, so, comma, you know, therefore, basically everything I just said about you being born again, all that stuff, because of that, then he says, do these things. He says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Gonna be a long day. Like, like newborn infants, he says, pointing to that born again experience. He says, they long for pure spiritual milk, that by it they may grow up or mature into their salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you know this truth about Jesus, you know the Lord is good, right? And so as you come to him, God, you're a living stone, sorry, as you come to him, Jesus, rather, a living stone that was rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are now like living stones and are being built up into a spiritual house. You are going to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in scripture, and he quotes Isaiah in the Psalms here. He says, behold, I am laying a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you, Christians, who believe, to you who have been born again. That is the honor for us, right? But for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has then become the cornerstone, or maybe a better word would be headstone here, capstone maybe, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Yet another metaphor for that born again experience. I was lost, I was blind in darkness, but God has called me into the light. That is so poetic and wonderful. Once you were not a people, he says, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, oh, but now you have through Jesus received mercy. And he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as aliens here on this earth, right? As we are living here, but temporarily until we get to heaven one day, as sojourners, exiles, he tells us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Those desires from that old dead guy that we've left long, long ago. Abstain from those things. Leave those things behind because they wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, right? The people who don't know who God is. Keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's the persecution that is to come, they will see your good do deeds and then they will glorify, glorify, glorify ah, God on the day of visitation. There's, a, there's an intention behind what God is doing. He says, if we can abstain from these things, if we can push that aside, if we can live by the informed mind and the spirit of Christ that is inside of us, those other people will see it in us and will give who the glory? God the glory. It is so wonderful for us to hear, Jeff, you've, you've really changed a lot. 
Jeff, I, I went to school with you, right? I'm surprised, A, you're alive. B, right, you're a pastor in a church, right? And I love to hear those things, but you know who truly gets all the glory in that? It's God. You know who gets the glory when the addict overcomes addiction? It'd be God. You know who gets the glory when the, when the marriage is reconciled between a husband and a wife when there was just no hope but two months ago, two years ago, and God comes in and fixes all that? You know who gets all the glory in that? God does. And so there's, there's a real intention and a role for us as believers that Paul is, sorry, that Peter is calling us to. So um, can we pray real quick and then we'll get started. And people are freaking out right now. <laughs> get started? I thought we started 20 minutes ago. <laughs> right? I say this every week. Welcome to Renaissance. So we're so glad you're here. God, we thank you for your, um, your presence this morning. I, I felt it when I walked in this morning, and I don't mean to be super spiritual about it, but I just, I know the reality that you're here with us, that you dwell amongst us, and we thank you for that, that I believe your spirit is here as well, and I thank you for that, God, and I pray that you'd use your spirit to teach us and to inform us, to encourage us, and to lead us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would do a heart work in us today, a, a, a surgery so to speak, where you would reveal some things inside of us that belong to the, the old nature, the old flesh nature, that, that we have not been living according to your spirit. And I, I pray, spirit, that you would show us those things so that we could then learn to leave them behind as well. God, I thank you for your power and your authority over all things. And I pray that you bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. He says that we are to, <clears throat> to put away some things. It's to cast away, to rid ourselves of some things. And he goes through this, this little list of some sins. Let's call them what they are. They're sins. It's malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. What I found shocking is that Peter doesn't immediately go to like other sins. Like there's a, there's a hundred other sins he could have picked, but he seems to address these five particular sins that impact not just our own lives, but the communities that we, that we do life in, right? I mean, how, how, um, how accepted in your community are you if you um, have malice against others, if you're deceiving others, if you're a hypocrite, some of you, right? And you're envious and slanderous to all, right? These are the things that destroy community. These are the things, wait for it, that churches all too all too often turn a dark um, or a blind eye to. And I don't think God wants that for us. That if we're, if we're Christians, if we're born again believers, whatever you want to say, right? That these things have no place in our lives. And oh my goodness, they have no place in the church. Malice, this hateful intent to harm other people. Some of you are like, well, I don't have that in my life. And for that, I'm thankful. There's deceit, where you're trying to trick people. You're always conniving, working an angle. I, I, I won't try to give a lot of examples of my own life here, but I've, I've operated in all of these, and I've had them operated against me, all of these. I remember specifically being in a, a car with two individuals, a, a pastor friend of mine and this other man. And this other man had spent the previous two days at a men's conference telling me things. 
right, about the pastor that we were then in a car with. And he somehow persuaded me to think the same way he did about the pastor. And then on the ride home, he begins to bring up these things about the pastor. And both of us jumped on the pastor as he's driving us home. This was the grossest thing that I can ever remember being a part of in my life. And what I love what the pastor did in great wisdom, you know, he, he shut his mouth. He stopped talking to us because every time he would say something, we would rebut it and we'd say, yeah, but yeah, but the church should look like this. Yeah, but yeah, but. And finally he just stopped talking to us. And for the next 140 miles, praise his holy name, right? He didn't say another word to us. I've seen these things operate. Hypocrisy is probably the greatest thing that keeps people out of the church. Most, all of you know someone who says, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And I agree. And Peter's saying it has no room in the church. We should not be those types of people. We're doing damage to God's kingdom in that regard. We shouldn't be people who envy others. We shouldn't be people who slander others. Um, I've talked to the staff of Renaissance Church about those things within the past month, just so you know. And I'm like, like, I'm up here, hey guys, make sure you don't slander. I'm like, hey guys, I think we're slandering. Hey guys, I think we're saying negative things about other people. Hey guys, I think we're struggling as a church um, staff with envy. I think, well, I don't, I don't want what they have. Well, yeah, but you can't rejoice, right, in the things that they're doing that are really, really good. You know, we're looking around at other Christians and other churches and we're struggling seeing other people do great, wonderful things and we're going, Brr dang it, why can't we something, something? And it's, it's like God spoke to me and says, Jeff, that's what this is. And there's no room for it in our lives. And he says, if you've been born again, you have to put aside, de decloak yourself of these things. Put them away. You don't need them anymore. And he says like, like newborn infants, they long for spiritual milk. They we as born again people, people have been made babies spiritually. We need to long for this spiritual milk that helps us to grow because if not, we will not mature and we'll look like that. We'll be 25 years old, still <laughs> slandering, having deceit in our hearts, all kinds and forms of wickedness. Um, my wife and I, we had two we have, we have two daughters. Um, they're 15 and 13 now. In fact, one of them turns 14 in like a week, and that's kind of awesome. Um, it's actually on our anniversary day. So my wife and I ceased having an anniversary about 14 years ago. It's now just my daughter's birthday. I'm just saying. <laughs> right? But I remember when they were little and they would cry because they were hungry. Like there's just something that's so inconsolable about a newborn infant when it's hungry. You can't do anything to help them. They're really a pain, to be honest with you, sometimes. I don't mean that in a bad way. I love them dearly, right? But there, nothing you could give them. Here's $100 if you'll just stop crying for a minute. I'll pay for college. I'll do two weddings. Whatever you want to do, right? Just stop crying right now. But nothing, nothing can satisfy that, that inconsolableness in them except for this milk that they need. Can, can, can we hear this today? I think the Lord is saying some things to us that we are quite difficult to many people around us. That we are acting much like children who can't be consoled because of things in our life. And he's saying, you've just drifted away from that which provides nourishment to you. You need spiritual milk. Now, now Peter's making this connection to what he talked about last week, and I can't rehash all that, but particularly the word of God, the Bible. 
We need to be adding that stuff to our daily intake, right? Our nutrition, if you will, all the time. We need to be thinking on and, and meditating on the, the word of God because it, it causes in us a change to take place. But this stuff needs to be left behind, he says, all of it. It stunts our growth spiritually. I wish, I wish I had the faith like my friend does. Um, maybe this, these, I'm trying to say things that we might say. I wish I had um, my understanding of God things the way my, my friend here does. Or I wish I responded in that situation or this situation now, I'm struggling, forgive me. But I, I wish I could respond in this situation in my life like my, my mom did or my dad did or my brother did, my whatever. Like it, when they went through something similar, I wish I was more like that. And, and I think God is telling us, listen, we have that available to us, but we must mature. Right? This, this is a work that we have to do. We must embrace this change. And it starts with throwing those old things away that you didn't think is possible, but you can now through Christ. That's the hope of being born again, that we now have the spirit of God inside of us causing these changes. Do you hear this? I I'm trying to... Okay, I'm so far off my notes now anyways. <laughs> I think maybe some of us do need to understand what really is available to us when we are born again. That we've been sort of bought into this idea that we'll have faith in Christ and yet we're still just gonna continue to struggle all of our lives. And I know there's, there's pressures, there's tensions. Peter mentions them, many of them. We can still find joy in them, as I was talking about earlier. But I think the most important thing is, is Peter's not laying before us this impossible task. Like it, he picked five sins. Guys, pick your own five. Keep it a secret, write it in your phone, whatever it is. And then I want you to hear Peter say, right, as newborn infants, we're going to grow spiritually as we connect ourselves to Christ and through the word and through all of that stuff. And those five sins, whatever they are in your life, he's saying, put them aside, leave them alone, take them off. You don't need them anymore. Because you're probably going, yeah, I don't envy much. I don't slander much. Okay, what is your five? You need to understand that's available to us in Christ. Only in Christ. And it doesn't, again, just impact our lives, but it impacts the life of the people around us, the culture around us. So many people might say, I just wish the world was different this these days. I wish something, something, something. I'm like, well, you know what? You could pray for a different guy in a White House, right? I'll be honest with you, that's not the help you need. I'm just telling you. All right, I'm not trying to be political here, but the real help the world needs is you to grow up. Is <laughs> me to grow up and to believe that I can change, that I can leave sin behind. You know who will see it the most? Your spouse your children, your coworkers, your friends, aren't those the people you care about anyways? 
Don't you want a better life for them? I do. And it begins with this understanding. We are, we are not creatures of the flesh any longer. We are new creations born by the spirit of God with the like and the mind of Jesus himself. We can change. Um, I'm going to, verse four, here we go. <laughs> he says, as you, as you come to, to Jesus, this living stone, he has this great metaphor of Jesus being a rock or a stone. He says um, that we in verse five are like living stones too. And that we're being built together, we're being sort of stacked against one, in, one another, that God is, is using each of our lives to build something. He says it's a, a spiritual house. It's like a house of God. It's, it's the temple. If you know anything about the Old Testament, they desired to build a temple for God or a dwelling place for God. That was their great desire. And if you know anything about building, uh, whether in today's day or even back in their day, that to build anything, you have to have a sure foundation right? And the idea of, of Jesus being this cornerstone that had been rejected by others, um, there's this idea that, that Jesus is the, the foundational point of all of our lives, right? So if we're to build a building, we would dig down below the frost line, we'd pour footing, we'd build off of that so that it wouldn't heave in the winter and this and that, and that makes sure that our building will be stable, and the, the inclination here is that as we build our lives, we must make sure we first build them on the work of Christ, not our own works, right? That's helpful to a lot of people here, yes? Yes, you are amazing, you're just not that amazing, right? Jesus is the amazing one. And so we, we link into him, we build into him. He, uh, Peter quotes again some Old Testament stuff here. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, listen, I'm going to lay a stone in Zion, right? A cornerstone. It's chosen by me and it's precious by me. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, he says. In Isaiah, they were talking about um, this work that God was doing. And it doesn't mention that this stone was actually a person. In Isaiah, it just mentions there's a stone that God is gonna place and, and, and it will be a stumbling block for some. But here Peter interprets that Old Testament scripture and says that stone that Isaiah was talking about is a person, it's Jesus. And God has placed him chosen and precious into the earth and we're gonna build our lives off of him. And he says, so the honor for, for those of us who believe, right, is this, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the headstone or a, a cornerstone here. I, I want you to, I want to tell you a quick story um, that I just learned this week. Um, that passage is out of Psalm 118. The book of Psalms are like poetry in the Old Testament. Actually, they're a lot like songs. It's like the Old Testament hymnal. And Psalm 118 is actually a song. It's a song that the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel would sing. And in it, it talks about all of the good things that God is going to do, that God is going to bring us through. There might be trouble in our lives, but God is going to get us through. And it's just glorious sort of song. It's much like the worship songs that we sing here today. But there's a verse down towards the bottom of Psalm 118 that talks about this stone that was rejected. Now, I'm going to tell you a little backstory that tradition sort of tells us, that there's a, a time when Solomon, the king, 
right, was building a temple for God. This is a thousand years before Jesus comes on the earth. I'm a history nerd, so I'll get into this stuff, so forgive me. So Solomon's building this temple, and all of the stones for the temple are being cut off-site because the place that they're building the temple is holy, right? Second, first, second Kings tells us this, that all the stones were cut, carved, chiseled to fit perfectly off-site, and then just dragged them in quietly and very reverently pushed them into place. Well, one day the, the, the masons are unloading another shipment of stones coming from the quarry and there's this funky looking stone. It's all shaped weird. They didn't understand it. And they go, what is this stone for? What were those, those uh, stonemasons? What were they thinking when they carved this one? And they throw it aside. They go, we don't need this. They get the whole temple put together and it's all held together with like some little bit of scaffolding, but there's a stone missing up at the top, this one final stone. And someone has this great idea. I think the stone we're missing is that stone that we threw aside not long ago. And so they go back to the rubble heap, right? That was gonna be discarded and they find that one stone that had been left out. They drag it over and put it into place. And in that moment, they could release all of the scaffolding that was holding up the temple. This is what tradition tells us. And this is what this song is reminding them of. Remember the day when we were building the temple of God and we rejected a stone and God reminded us of a stone that would hold it all together. And if we would just place that stone into its perfect place, then everything else that was used to hold it all together could be removed. And what Peter is then telling us in that story is that Jesus is the stone, that they didn't know that at the time. But the, the symbolism is there for us that, that we uh, on some days are just holding our lives together with sticks, scaffolding, right? It's all taped together and bolted together. And when the winds come and, and heavy loads get on it, it just pushes and pulls. And what Peter is saying, that there's a capstone, a finished piece of stone that is added to your life. And it's in that moment that all of this other stuff can be removed. And now you can weather the storms. That's exciting for me. That's exciting because Jesus is not just the footing or the foundation of our lives by which we build everything from, but he's the pinnacle, the headstone, the capstone of our lives that holds everything together. And Peter makes mention of all of this, that we would have this understanding for our lives. We rejected that stone And God reminded us, no, no, this is the one you need. And the same was true of Jesus, that when he came to the nation of Israel, they rejected him. They were looking for a different Messiah. And yet, and yet, (laughs) the, the prophets had proclaimed what he would look like, when he would come, where he would come from, and they just missed it. And the same is true even in our own lives, that this this stone that they rejected that became a stumbling offense to them, right? They didn't believe in Jesus. This same stone, Jesus, is a stumbling place for many people in our world today. You know what helped people understand the reality of Jesus more? I mean, besides the spirit of God truly coming into their lives and changing it, if, if the, the people around us would begin to see truly changed men and women live around them, if they would truly see God's people being led by the spirit, putting aside all of these sins to live a spiritual life in front of them. Guys, hear me. If you think I'm giving you a to-do list, right? Like try harder, do better. You're listening to the wrong message. That's not true. I'm saying we yield ourselves to the spirit of God that's inside of us. What do you do 
what do you, what do you, seriously, what do you do when sin crouches at your door? When you have a desire to sin, what, what are you doing in that moment, in that exact moment when you have a desire to go do something that you know God doesn't want for you, that you know desperately you don't want for you, that you know when you do it, it's going to cause havoc in your life. You're going to feel shame and all kinds of stuff. What do you do in that moment? See, I think that's what Peter's addressing. Those of us who have been born again, we now have a power in us that we didn't know we had before. I feel like I'm going around on the racetrack one more lap, but I just feel like we need to hear it again. You, you can overcome those things. I can set those things aside. We can be restored only through Jesus. Only through this understanding that the spirit of God now dwells inside of us, we have his passions and his, his desires inside of us. When your flesh rises up, when the old nature rises up and says, man, that looks like a lot of fun, just tell it to shut up. Choose Jesus instead of that sin. Um, confession, I'm a hypocrite, Right? Because I'm telling you what to do right now. Actually, I think Peter's telling us what to do. But by my own admission, I fail in this a lot. Sometimes when sin comes knocking, I go, hello, been waiting for you. Come on in. How you doing? You want something to drink? Sandwich? <laughs> he says, you are a chosen race. Skipping down to verse 9. I'll finish with this in case you're wondering this another 15, 20 minutes. I'll be done. This is your chosen race. I want to remind you that, that God chose you. So Peter says he chose you. It's not by accident. You didn't fall into a hole and go, Oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> what happened there? He chose you. He called you unto himself. And by the spirit of God, you responded to him. He says, you're a, a royal priesthood. I love this, that he's called us into his family and we're not maidservants, right? We're not just the hired help. We're royal priestly people that he's called us to do royal and priestly things. He's called us to be a holy nation, a, a people for his own possession. And that, that alone we could talk about for months that you would understand that your value now is not hinge upon who you are, but on who owns you, which is Christ. I saw the craziest thing on eBay this week. Don't ask why, but there's a tissue that a celebrity, maybe Taylor Swift, I don't know. Is she a celebrity? Ooh, I have no idea. <laughs> but she sneezed or something into a tissue and discarded it, and some fool grabbed it out of the trash and put it on eBay. It sold for like $10,000. It's a snot rag. <laughs> it's a tissue. It's two cents. It's two cents, right? But because it belonged to her, it has value. What Peter's saying is you've been chosen. I'm using you. Your royal priesthood, royalty, which is so foreign to Americans because we, you know, we're against the, the monarchy over in England, but royal priestly people 
We are his possession. Your value now comes not from that which you've done, but the work that he's done in you. To know that there's a a powerful creator, a powerful God watching over everything you do and is seeking your good in all situations is profound, isn't it? You've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. Again, that wonderful metaphor of that. Skipping down to verse 11. So I urge you, again, abstain from these things. Put these things off of you. No longer do them. Let Christ grow you up and mature you. And let the world around us see him and then give God all the glory. That's this encouragement to us. So I went over, forgive me. Um, I just wanna pray for us, if that's okay. First and foremost, if if you're here today and you feel like if you feel sort of yucky, right, because of the things in your life, the sin in your life, it's not my intent and it's not God's intent for you to feel bad about the sin in your life. But Peter's message is a message of hope. If nothing else, we just need to be reminded of the work that God has done for us. So I challenge you, don't, don't slip into a little despair moment of all the, the things in your life that are not good and this and that. I want us to pause for a moment and to, uh, when the band comes back up and we go back into a time of singing and declaring the goodness of who God is, why don't we step into that new reality that we have in Christ alone. Our old desire does not wanna worship God because we're a mess, aren't we? <laughs> Amen we can use the spirit that dwells inside of us to worship Jesus and we can give him all the glory. We can do that for these next few moments. I want to also remind you that if any time during the next 15 minutes or so, you have something on your heart that you really want prayer for, you want to talk about something, um, right out this back door and to the right, we have people that are here today specifically to pray for you to encourage you, to love on you, to help you, to be a sounding board for you, to point you back to Jesus. If you ever get lost in your way, isn't it so great when someone just goes like this? Here, bro, go this way. We need that. And so I just wanna pray for us as we close. Lord, thank you for all our time together. Thank you for letting us have fun. I always love when church is fun. And um, God, I just, I pray that the words of Peter Um, truly inspired by the Spirit of God will make an impact into our lives. I thank you for our time together. I pray that you do a transformative work in us, that we learn to leave the old nature behind, that we have the Spirit of Jesus inside of us to help us. We are not abandoned to do it on our own strength, but in his strength. And so, Lord, I thank you for everything that you do. Change us, Lord. Make us like you change the world around us, make us like you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur 
the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.